And hello, doobie listeners. This is Adam Venrick for the Coffee Hour, and today I am joined by not one, but two fantastic Denison alums, both of whom are actors, um, one of whom is a very talented singer, the other is a very, very talented playwright. I am joined by Francesca DeFrancesco and Riley Reichenbach-Herring. How are you both? Such a such a show. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to feature you both. Um, it's an honor to be talking with you both again. And to our listeners, uh, just as a quick preface before we begin, if there's any static, it's because this is a phone interview. Uh, so we will work around that. So uh, you both were class of 2019 which means you have only recently left Denison University, and yet you have both been doing, frankly, incredible things. Um, Franny, you uh, mounted a play that you wrote while you were here. Uh, tell us about yeah. that. So I, actually, so I actually did this play at Denison. Sorry if you hear some beeping. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I actually... Uh, I guess mounted for the for the first time this play at the um, first Fringe Festival at Denison. Um, it's called The Call. Uh, it featured uh, five actors. I actually acted as well in it, but uh, four other actors. Uh, who one of them is an alum, or actually two of them are an alum, and then two of them. Uh, right? Yeah, two of them still. Yeah, Riley was involved in it actually as uh, the costume designer. So, um, maybe she could even give some insight, but, but so basically I, uh, had submitted it to a festival when I had graduated in Orlando, Florida, which is my hometown. And the festival was the first festival ever at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, which is where the national tours of plays and musicals come through, um, and reviews. And, uh, yeah, I was just kind of throwing paint at the wall. After, uh, you know, graduating, I, you know, I'm just going into a theatrical profession. You just never know um, what the next job or what the next opportunity will, where it will take you. But, yeah, I got accepted one out of 16 playwrights out of hundreds and hundreds of submissions to put my show on as a professional formal table read with professional actors in the area. So, so it was an incredible honor to be able to do something like that. Uh, and honestly, quite frankly, I did not expect to, <laughs> to do something like that. That's just, it was an amazing experience to learn and actually be with professional actors reading the work that I'd written. So, yeah. And so that's, I'm so sorry. Uh, for our listeners who didn't get to see it um, in either place, uh, what was uh, the call about? So the call is actually, I, now I call it a memory play because it does comprise of um, a really, a man who has gone through a lot of trauma uh, with his family and with an accident that he had in fact caused. Um, but it starts out, it's, it's a 
man who has been trapped in his house, well, not trapped, he, he has decided to stay in his house for the past four years after an incident of some sort. And while the audience does not know at first what this incident is, through a series of memories and uh, recollections and, um, I guess, with the ensemble, the contribution of the ensemble, which is three of the actors, um, they find out what led for him to have agoraphobia, which is being afraid to leave his home. It's set in the 90s in McCall, Idaho, which is a small town. It's a resort town. But for the people who actually live there, it's a, just a small, tight-knit community of hunters, lots of masculinity uh, imparted on, on the men of the... So, so really, it's a, it's a play about masculinity... Uh, toxic masculinity, family issues, also family love, friend love. It, it's just about really, um, <laughs> it sounds so like play ready, I don't know. But like the life life experience of like somebody's memories. And I really wanted to show the ups and downs. And also, it's interesting that I guess I would write about toxic mas- masculinity because I'm not, I'm not in fact a man, but through the process that I had at Denison to put this up, it was a very, it was a group effort because most of the actors in play were men. Mm-hmm. So really workshopping that and having men give actual insight. Of course I did my research. Of course I, I talked to people who were, you know, hunters or talked to people who lived in a more like wilderness, even rural area just to get the feel of like what the expectations are for, for these men or even boys growing up. <laughs> but like, but like, I don't 
Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, that's how that came about. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> then this next question is for you, Riley. Um, since you watched her develop the play and you dressed the play, what was it like uh, uh, dressing this play? And especially on account of it being a table read, how does that change uh, anything? And I 
And I really like to, you know, so whether it's like characters who have like bright colored hair or something or, you know, or like things like that, I just really like a statement on stage. And I think that, you know, we took a lot of different reference, like Nirvana, like River Phoenix, like just like picture it. Like I have Pinterest boards that I just make. <laughs> of images but no but it really does help you know like you can see like an image and just be like wow like I really inc- want to incorporate that into a prop or a per- or person's outfit or uh, just the feeling of like what you want the audience to feel in the scene and so yeah so I, I'm really a visual person and with Riley's expertise it's a great it's a great cocktail of aesthetic for the yeah. stage times <laughs> <laughs> as a costume designer and just, uh, director capacity, there have definitely been some either specific images that she's come to me and said that I, I really want this image portrayed in the show, or she comes to me and says, like, this character, I really pictured looking something like this, and sometimes they'll even bring me a sketch that she like, drew <laughs> herself of the character. Uh, and so then I do the best I can to take a look at that sketch and really cultivate that and bring that to the costumes or bring that visual aspect and all the little intricacies uh, that she sees in her head as she's envisioning the play. Um, And it's it's really cool to get that kind of direction from a director as someone on the design team and the production team to get that direction from your director, but then also the trust that they know that you're, you're still able to do your craft and produce and bring uh, the costumes to life, but that you guys are working together and that you're on the same page. Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. Um, I, for any, I have another question for you, and then Riley, I have a couple for you. Um, Franny, you, while at Denison, you, you wrote another play uh, called, correct me if I'm wrong, May West After Dark. Uh, May West After Dark, yeah. <laughs> what can you tell us about that? <laughs> so, um, I'm just laughing because it was just, it was really fun. Um, so, and also I know that you saw it. I so did. I, 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 you know, I, you've told me, like, what you thought, but, like, also, like, I appreciate you asking about it. Because it was something that, like, really meant a lot to me. And so that was part of the second Denison Fringe Festival. And it was a one-woman show about Mae West, who... Um, well, it's kind of interesting, because nowadays, like, if you mention the name Mae West, uh, not many younger people, even, like, in our 20s, you know, in college age, they don't really know who Mae West is, and I think that's a sin, because Mae West is such, like, honestly, she is a very liberated woman, and for her time, so she, she was an actress, and, um, I would say... All throughout her life, she was known as an icon of Hollywood and the vaudeville stage as well. She started her roots on the vaudeville stage, and then she she actually didn't have that much... I mean, she had successes, but they never propelled her to, like, a, bit, a, higher, a higher ground or a higher level. And she loved vaudeville, but she was like, man, like, I'm just doing this work for other people, you know? Like, uh, I love doing it, but it's like, oh, man, I know I'm something. Like, I just want to, like... express myself in a way that expresses my thoughts and my talents and so her mom was like you know you should start writing shows and she became an esteemed American playwright Uh, she wrote multiple shows about 
topics of sex, um, homosexuality, which at the time, that was like the um, 20s and 30s, and that was just, I mean, they wouldn't even print the word sex, the name of her first play, in the papers. Like, that that just wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't a thing. So... So yeah, but she, and she started many films, she discovered the actor Cary Grant, who is very acclaimed, and very, I mean, everybody, he's like a Hollywood golden age leading man, and I mean, she did so many wonderful things in her life, and really stood up for for women as well, to be, you know, to make their own decisions, to, you know, not fit the mold of of a specific stereotype and that wasn't to try to do it that's just who she was she was just a liberated woman who was comfortable with her body comfortable with her talents and comfortable being a woman in in the way that she wanted to do you know she wanted to be and um so i did i wrote a play about her life as best i could because oh my god she's done so many things it was hard to like uh, that also took so much research you know and i was just reading books and reading books about and getting quotes, but also, like, trying as a playwright to, like, make up my own quotes that maybe she would say, you know? Because she was all about double entendres, you know? She's the person who said, you know, I don't know if this is, but, like, is that a gun in your pocket or are you happy to see me? Like, that that was, like, she made up that, like, and everybody says it, but, like, do you know even where it came from? Like, do you know that Mae West was, like, the woman? And she was also... I mean, people thought her beautiful, but she also wasn't the traditional beauty of the time. Like, she was curvy. She she was, like, people even described her as, like, matronly, and, like, I guess so, but, like, I think she was gorgeous. Like, honestly, like, she was just so beautiful. So, um, but, yeah, I just, I really had an amazing time. I acted in the show. I also wrote it, and um, actually, um, somebody who goes to Denison directed it. Um, his name is Will. So, yeah, <laughs> and he's in the theater department, and he directed it, and was also in it as Paul Novak. So, um, yeah, and that was her, I guess, the lover at the end of her life. She had many lovers. That was the thing with her. But but also, like, you know, men loved her because she was, you know, she was who she was, and she wasn't afraid to be it. So, and I really relate to that, especially being a woman, woman playwright who loves to write, loves to express her own thoughts, but also somebody who's also very body, body and extravagant, and she was all about the glitter and the furs, and I, I'm, I'm just so, like, such an old soul in the way that, like, I am just, sometimes I'm a little extra with, <laughs> with my, with my outfits and stuff, but that's just who I am, and I'm, I'm not gonna tone that down, no, no sir, so, so that, yeah, I really enjoy discovering this person, and honestly, when I put my pen, well, I wasn't writing this, but when I clicked that last key on writing the show, it had taken so long, and honestly, my senior year was, you know, a little rough in a lot of ways, and this piece of theater saved me in the way that it made me realize, like, you know what, I am valuable, like, I am gonna do something great with this, and I'm gonna teach other people that this person was great, even if they don't know who she is, so... Yeah. I think that's... What? Oh, no, that, that was it. That was, I was going to say, that's it, you, Christine. <laughs> no, that was absolutely wonderful. Um, for our listeners who didn't get a chance to see it, it was a wonderful show. Um, Riley, question for you now. 
you, when you went here, you were heavily involved with theater, with singers' theater, with choirs of various nature. Um, and I, I am so sorry to admit that you and I have, I have not made the effort to keep in touch. What have you been doing with yourself since you graduated? No worries. Uh, social media is hard to keep up with uh, for everyone. Um, but so I uh, am from Massachusetts, and I returned home to Massachusetts. And I, I've done one show since I've graduated, uh, but it was a great experience. I was involved with a uh, theater company in one of the smaller cities within Massachusetts called Worcester. Uh, and actually, a new theater company there. I was involved with their second production. Um, and we did The Fantastics, which is one of uh, one of the longest-running off-Broadway shows. It, had, it ran for 42 years off-Broadway. Uh, it never actually made it onto Broadway, so you wouldn't know it from Tony Awards or anything like that. But it is one of the longest-running shows just in American history. Um, and it's an iconic show. It's kind of a pseudo-Romeo and Juliet story, uh, kind of put on, set on, set in almost the Commedia dell'arte form in which there are a bunch of actors and the narrator comes in and describes who the actors will portray, and they all then portray that story. And so I was playing a, uh, the kind of Juliet character in this pseudo-Romeo uh, and Juliet story, which was interesting as a graduated uh, alumnus who is trying to uh, adult, <laughs> I was going to play a 16-year-old. Uh, so, so that was interesting uh, to kind of jump back into that. Um, but it was it was an incredible experience to join a local theater company uh, and to work with people who had done theater both as their career and just on the side, one of the people I actually acted with works at uh, Disney for 22 years and had just returned back up to the uh, New England area. Uh, but my director, John, was an incredible director and he just has done theater on the side his whole life. Um, but it was, it was a really great experience to jump back into shows uh, after taking a short break after graduation. Uh, and to really delve fully into it, I, in the end, did a little bit of costuming as well, just because we all, it was a small theater company, so we all kind of pitched in where we could. Uh, I was able to design a few costumes and to help the director with some of those costume designs, as well as my favorite part of being able to use some power tools during the set. <laughs> uh, okay, girl. <laughs> That's always fun. Um. But it was a really incredible experience, and I am planning to continue uh, looking into theaters and auditioning in the Boston area as the as the months come. That, that's wonderful. Um, I guess real quick, since we're on the subject of roles and auditions, um, question for both of you uh, individually. What are some uh, some dream roles for both of you as actors? Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this. Uh, Riley, you want to go first? And then I'll go. Yes. Um, some of my uh, fellow actors and I in this show 
just barely missed it. Um, but as any high soprano would say, I would love to play Christine in Fenra of the Opera, as cliche as that may be. Um, I would also love to do Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Um, and there, there are a few different productions that I've been looking at, researching, trying to find uh, in the Boston area. But I guess I, I love playing characters uh, that have a little quirk to them. Mm. Um, and not all soprano roles do. Some of them are typically just your ingenue uh, being... The little the love interest who sings a pretty song and swoons <laughs> and falls in love with her prince charming uh, by the end of Act One. So I guess I always love to look for a character that has a bit more spunk, a little bit more sass, uh, something more to her. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, no, I I would love to see you in the, in those roles. Um, so my dream role is Belle Kelly. Chicago. I mean, it has been heard far and wide, and it will be heard, and it will be shouted off the mountaintops forever. I love Chicago. I love Fosse. Um, yeah, no, I love that role. And um, yeah, no, I, I would next next audition for that role. Ooh. <laughs> Whoever's in the room, they they better watch out because yeah, that, I I've auditioned for it twice um, and have not, have not have not uh. So any, so, so any results, but uh, I am I am confident that I will be able to play it one day because I always play funny characters. That I was told once you play funny, sexy, and old hags, and I said yes, I do. I've always played it like witches and stuff, and my my brother and I. Well, he always jokes. He's like, "You haven't had an old hag role in a while," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know. It's it's really disheartening, and <laughs> it really is bad for my health." So, um, <laughs> no, and another, another role that I love is um, uh, Petra in a little night music. I love that role, and oh, I love a little night. Music. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great. It's a, you. Oh yes, that'd be great. <laughs> and then, that's a Sondheim musical. Very beautiful music, and just beautiful story, and like aesthetic and everything. And then I also love Dot in Sunday in the Park with George. I love that role. I love art. Like I love visual art. I love going to museums, and I recently saw the Sunday on the Ground shot in the Art Institute in Chicago for the first time, and I. I, I almost shed a tear because it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's huge. The painting is huge, and the musical, I think it should be bigger. Like, I think it should be more widely known. It's really, really interesting. Um, interesting collaboration of art and musicals and Sondheim. So expect those funky notes. <laughs> expect those funky notes. But yeah, so, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and then going off of that, I guess, uh, another question for both of you. Uh, I'll ask individually this time. Um, Riley, as a singer and an actor, um, who are some people that inspire you or influence you? I guess someone that I've looked up to for years um, has been, there's an actress named Sarah Bogus. Uh, she, one of two roles that she's really known for is one, she played Christine and Phantom, um, but she also then turned around and played Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Um, and I think the duality of playing both of those characters and playing both of them absolutely brilliantly, 
strive to be because both of those characters are in your typical ingenue roles of the, the pretty young woman who sings the pretty song and is, falls in love with the handsome man and is somehow saved in some capacity. Um, there are obvious differences between the two, but the, the fact that she was able to play both of them flawlessly and her, I, I can listen to her sing all day, every day. Her phantom, her, her Christine was crazy. It was yeah. absolutely insane. Um, just the, uh, everything she's done, I follow, um, and I would love to have half of her voice, uh, half of her talent, and I would be a happy woman. Um, yeah, I guess just anyone who really puts themselves out there and is able to play a variety of roles, I think that an actor can just go out and play the one role again and again and again and again. But I think in order to be a true established actor and a great actor, you have to be able to play every sort of character. And so going from a Disney princess to... Phantom of the Opera, which is far from a Disney princess, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly. Uh, I think the fact that she's able to do that and so much more is something that I have always admired. And then, Franny, as um, as a writer and an actor, who inspires you? This is, okay, I have a lot of inspirations as well. I... Um, like I said, I have a lot of, like, cinematic, like, even though it's not theater per se, the stories and characters of Wes Anderson really inspire me, just because they're such quirky, like, he does the same thing, he creates worlds, he creates places and time periods and color palettes and just, like, beautiful, beautiful stories of People just having, you know, human experience, good, bad, indifferent. I mean, it's so dry, too, but I think it's, I mean, I think Grand Budapest Hotel is, like, hilarious. I think Life Aquatic is mm-hmm. just brilliant. Um, but, yeah, so, so cinematically, I guess I would say, was cinematically, and then I use it for theater, is Wes Anderson. Um, actresses, I love Julianne Moore, Kate Blanchett, um... For the stage, I love, rest in peace, Elaine Stritch. She was uh, broad. She recently died. Actually, not so recently. It's been some years now, but um, she was like a Broadway legend, and she did a lot of Sondheim shows. She was um, Joanne and Company, the original Joanne and Company um, for Stephen Sondheim. And she, she had some issues of alcoholism in her life and stuff, but she got through a lot of stuff in her life, and she was very resilient and very talented and very real in, in her acting. Um, but writing, also, Marina Carr uh, plays. So when I went uh, abroad to Dublin with Riley and a lot of other uh, Dunstan alums, um, we studied Marina Carr and this Irish woman, um, young woman, who has written plays that are already esteemed, like, in Ireland, about specifically, like, Irish struggles, like, also Irish home life, um, but really tragic plays, not, like, not happy, I mean, like, perhaps you could find some sort 
sort of happiness and everything. But I, I think that she, it, it, she resonates with me because like when I wrote the call, people are like, what is it about? And they're expecting from a woman playwright, like, I don't know what they're expecting, but they're expecting not something tragic, probably <laughs> off of just offhand, you know, not, not expecting something dark. And that's all that the call was. It, I mean, like not all of it. I mean, there's happiness and there, there is light in it, but, but it is, it isn't a happy story. Um, and, but I think that it shows like, do not judge, um, a woman playwright by her cover because you do not know what's you know what is boiling i i write things to discover things people say to write what you know but i write to discover things so and i think that discovering the pain in, in life is just as valuable as discovering something happy as well and something girly and feminine <laughs> you know i mean may west is like glam 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 woman 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 but you know in, in a special way and then like the call is like man 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 saying that a lot this interview that's wonderful but it all is um well i have two more quick questions for both of you and then i'll let you get going because we've been we've been talking for quite a while which i'm grateful for um first question for both of you um again uh if Time or money or whatever was no object, um, and you could do whatever you wanted in terms of like a creative project. What would you do? Oh my gosh! I know what I'd do. Go for it. 
theater. <laughs> like, that is where my heart is, you know? But, like I said, movies are, like, they incorporate also everything that I love that you would find in theater as well, except the medium itself is, is different, you know? Theater is fleeting, and I love theater because it's magic. Well, I think it's magic. Some people are like, yeah, theater's not magic. It's just, you know. But for me it is because it's like, you could go to a production. Like, The Call wasn't videotaped, you know? The first production of The Call was not videotaped. So anybody who saw that production, two shows, that's it. It's gone. It's not on record, like, except for photos. Like, it's in the script, obviously, and the actors. It's not on record to see again, to see those moments. And, like, that's so special. But, like, film, it's, like, it's more, more lasting. So if I could, like, take my writing and, and my acting and my thoughts and put it into something that's lasting and like really official you know and, and visual like I love and that I can see it's like wow that would be that would be so cool yeah awesome yeah. and Riley I guess I guess it's a difficult question to answer because I would love to there, there's a part of me that really loves to perform um, and I guess I would go and audition for everything I could, and if I didn't have to worry about getting to work later, yeah. I could go and just audition all day. Um, but there is also a part of me that loves uh, the backstage part and costuming, and so I guess being able to work with customers who are very uh, developed and who have done multiple shows and kind of learning from them and gaining their expertise and just being able to pick their brains... Uh, would be something that I would absolutely love to do. But I guess the last part of that is just I, I love to go see shows. Um, being able to go and see theater. Uh, kind of what we were talking about at the end of the last question about how theater isn't necessarily accessible to everyone in the States because it's so expensive. Um, being able to just go and appreciate the art that is theater and appreciate colleagues' work um, and go and be that audience member that cheers and laughs and gives the actors on stage more energy um, and be that active audience and go and appreciate all the work that goes into it. I mean, anytime I see a show, at this point, having done costumes for so long, as well as being an actor, I look at both the acting as well as the costumes, yeah. uh, and I'll, I'll go into a show and I'll be like, oh yes, I see how that visual, that character visually connects to that character, so they're going to have a relationship later, oh I get it, kind of thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're both wearing blue, <laughs> uh, but I guess being able to go, if money was no object, being able to go and support theater, yeah. uh, and be that patron who is there, and is there giving the standing ovation and who is there going to every show in town um i guess that's something that i really love being able to be that person for be the person in the audience that i want to have when i'm on stage i think a single tear just rolled down my cheek right? <laughs> <laughs> i i was also quite moved that was a wonderful that was absolutely Fantastic and moving. Uh, my last question for the night um, is a quick one. And it is, again, for both of you. If you each could give young, not even young, but starting creative people 
one bit of advice, what would that be? Yes, yes, of course. Okay, sorry, I broke the rule. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's my bad. It's okay. I, I just, no, no, it, it kind of, you know, so, um, here, be open to everything. I came into Denison, uh, musical theater. That was what I did. I also had done plays and stuff, but I was like, musical theater, musical theater, musical theater. And I still am. Uh, I still do musicals, I still do plays, um, but also, um, I had been writing all my life, and, like, find notebooks all the time of, like, literally filled out notebooks of stories that I had written, and theater is something that I discovered, um, because I didn't really have a place, like, in my elementary, like, I, I was very quiet, because... When I, this is kind of personal, but, but like when I was younger, when I, when I say younger, when I was like in elementary school, um, I remember I was a very like rambunctious, like bubbly kid in like kindergarten, first grade, and people were like, "No, you're weird because of that." So for years, I would not speak. Like I became a shy like wallflower, which if talking to me now, like <laughs> how, how, how could you imagine? Um, so no, but I seriously, I, I truly like, and I didn't feel like I really had a place. I would always do different things. Like I did like basketball and like ballerina and like different things. Like, and I never really found a place. And then I auditioned for Fiddler on the Roof in fifth grade. And I'd always, I had always wanted to be in plays. I'd always wanted, you know, to, but also like I had this, going forward like okay so now I, I'm an actress and I love theater it's like I could take my writing that I've been doing all my life as well and incorporate my thoughts and my crazy ideas and stories into something visual for other people to share in and to see and to enjoy and to think about you know I came into college thinking I was just a performer and I think that's <laughs> the beauty of the liberal arts um, welcome <laughs> to Denison. Um, I, I, a shameless <laughs> plug Awesome advice. Um, Riley, do you have anything? Yeah, 
together, um, which is weird, and we won't talk about it. Uh, but I guess <laughs> everyone, everyone is always like looking for the most talented person in the room and mm. the one who has uh, the most just natural talent. And I think something that I've always tried to live by is don't strive to be the most talented person in the room. Strive to be the hardest working. Yes. Uh, yes, right. the, the hardest working actor is the one who will get show after show. Mm-hmm. The hardest working actor is the one who will go beyond what they're called for and help with the set movement or help stay after and really stay after rehearsal and talk with your director and delve more into your character. Uh, they're the actor who will come to rehearsal with thoughts about what their character would do and their interactions with other people. They're, they're the people that everyone in the theater world, the big wigs, want to work with again because you put in the work. Talent, everyone has talent. Uh, I was recently talking to someone who, who knows, uh, their fun fact, uh, Chris Evans grew up in the area I'm from. And I'm family friends with his mother. And she said that Chris Evans being Captain America. Uh, and she said, everyone has talent. But it's, it's what you do with it. Uh, so being the person who shows up and is the hardest working and shows that you are working hard and shows that you care for the art and that you have a passion. And you're not afraid to, like Franny said, push the rules, try something out. Uh, and kind of go for it. Talent will only get you so far. Uh, and I think there are a lot of talented people in our world, at Denison, whatever, but it's really people who go above and beyond and who really give their all uh, are the people who I look up to and I aspire to be. That is incredible. Um, I want to thank you both for your time this evening. This has been just a sincere pleasure. Uh, I hope you both have a wonderful, wonderful night. Um, and that's about it for me. I thank you both so much. I wish you the best of luck in all future endeavors. And you too. I, we are so excited to see what you do. I am too. I am too. Um, for the listeners that don't know, um, Franny and Riley and I go way back to Sense and Sensibility, I believe. Um, which we don't have time to get into. That's probably an episode in and of itself. But um, but I, I do thank you both. Um, and I will see you around and hopefully talk to you both soon. Um, yeah. All right. I will talk to you later and goodbye. All right, listeners, that was Francesca DeFrancesco and Riley Reichenbach Haring. They are two fantastic Denison alums, and I am so thrilled just to have them on this show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And I believe they both have professional Facebook pages. Follow them. They are incredible, talented people. 
and I am absolutely blessed to have them on this show today. This is Adam Venrick. This episode of The Coffee Hour was recorded between approximately 8.30 and 9.20 p.m. on Monday, October 21st, 2019. This is Adam Venrick for The Doobie, signing off.